Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I pastor in Payson, Utah at Orchard Hills Bible Church. Thanks so much for joining me today as we consider the book of Galatians. And there's a lot to consider in the book of Galatians, many important things as it pertains to the gospel. In fact, it could be said that if someone wants to get to the heart of the Christian gospel quickly when it comes to reading the Bible, that person could start with the book of John, the book of Romans, or the book of Galatians, because all of those will talk about the substance of what Christ did and how we are made right with God on the basis of Christ's work. Uh, I mean, you could say that, of course, every book of the New Testament does that, but those three books will do so in a way that's, that's really specific, really pointed, really helps people to see the most important aspects of the gospel the quickest, it seems. Because in those books, the, uh, the apostles who wrote them, John for the Gospel of John and Paul for Romans and Galatians, they were writing with that purpose to really make clear the gospel of salvation, the, the, the gospel, the good news of how someone can be saved from the condemnation, the punishment he deserves because of his sin. So uh, very important that we're looking at the book of Galatians, and I'm going to do some different stuff today a little bit, uh, because I thought I would mix it up for fun and make things maybe a little more interesting if you're uh, someone who follows along with this. You don't want the same boring thing every week. Let's make it exciting. So uh, let's start in Galatians 1, verse 8, uh, verse 6, where it talks about uh, Paul talking to this church. This letter talks about uh, really what the problem is. The Galatians had started to embrace a different gospel message that was not based on grace, but based on the works that they would perform themselves. And so Paul says in verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Let's just stop right there. Paul is leveling a just a major accusation here that this church was deserting God who had called them to faith in Christ. They are deserting the grace that God has given them, this gift of salvation, in order to embrace a false gospel of their own works. Big, big accusation. They're deserting him, he says, verse 6. And he says this different gospel, verse 7, it's not really another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So there are people who are false teachers who are changing the good news and making it into bad news, essentially. Again, real heavy accusation, really big deal. This is like the most important thing that we want to get right in this life is the gospel, how we are made right with God. And if we get this wrong, it has major consequences. And for those who change the gospel from good news to bad news, those people are going to be judged by God. And those people might be very kind-hearted people in our eyes. They may be very sweet, very pleasant people. Uh, you could even say maybe they themselves are uh, have been bewitched by more 
manipulative, evil, wicked people. And the, these people are, have just been bewitched by them. And now they're well-intentioned, but they're off course. No matter what the case is, it's still a big deal. And God's going to have to judge that because he's a good judge. And he can't say, well, I know that, uh, you know, you, you really meant well, but you led a bunch of people astray. Um, but, but since you, but since you met well, meant well, um, you know, I'll, I'll let you go. No, a good judge is going to say you were wrong. You sinned. You rejected the truth and believed a lie and you led people into the same error. That sin has to be judged. All right. So this is serious business. So Paul says there are people that are distorting the gospel of Christ, verse seven. And then verse eight, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. So Paul says, if I come back and I've got a different message next time, I should be accursed. Some guy shows up and says that he is sent from God and he's got the real message and it's against the gospel that you've received. He's to be accursed. If an angel comes from heaven and there's like this amazing event, lights shining all around, amazing audio experience, amazing visual experience, yet at the heart of that, it's a different gospel, that angel is to be accursed. So nothing should change the gospel that they had initially received. Uh, he's saying no one has the authority to go back and redo the gospel that they had received, the gospel of grace. Paul said there in the opening verses that this is all about the grace of Christ, grace, which in Paul's theology, as you read his letters, again, Romans, Galatians, but pretty much any of his letters— he puts grace in opposition to keeping works in order to earn righteousness. With grace, you receive righteousness. It's a gift. Salvation, the full package, exaltation, the whole thing, it's a gift from God that you did not earn. That's real grace. Whereas on the other side, there's this you've got to earn it type stuff, whether that's the law of Moses or something else that man would invent. That is no longer grace. You have to desert grace. You have to abandon grace. You have to reject grace in order to get to this system of works. The two just do not go together. And so even if an angel from heaven comes and preaches a different gospel, he is to be accursed. The gospel is that Jesus died in our place for our sins. He rose again on the third day, ascended on high, that if we believe in him, trust in him alone, we will be made right with God once for all. We will be saved in an instant. We will be kept by his power, and no one will ever be able to undo that. We will be made right with God once for all by believing, trusting in, having faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Anything else is a different gospel and is worthy of judgment. So I bring all that up at the beginning, and I mention, you know, specifically verse 8, talking about an angel from heaven, because as we consider the gospel of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or you could say Mormonism for shorthand, 
we've got it just an issue going on here, and that issue is this. On the night of September 21st, 1823, Joseph Smith prayed to know God's further will toward him. Steadily, a light grew as though the house was filled with consuming and unquenchable fire. Moroni, a messenger sent from God, stood before him. In mortal life, Moroni had been the last of the ancient American prophets having authority from God and whose teachings were recorded for our time. Moroni declared that the time was at hand for the gospel in all its fullness to be preached in power unto all nations, and that Joseph was to be an instrument in the hands of God in that work. He quoted ancient prophets who had foreseen that this time would come. As Moroni stood before him, Joseph was shown in vision the place where the plates were deposited. Every September for four years, Joseph went to the hill Cumorah and was taught by Moroni. In September 1827, Joseph met Moroni at the hill and received the gold plates. 21 months later, having completed the translation, Joseph returned the plates to Moroni. Okay, so you have Joseph Smith, young man, who has an encounter with an angel from heaven. A messenger from God is what it said. And that's, by the way, from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints website. So that is official business. He has this visit from the angel Moroni, who was an angel from heaven, according to this story, who was going to deliver to him the fullness of the gospel. Now, the problem is uh, kind of twofold here. One, that the implication is that there was no fullness of the gospel before this time. That's not good. The second is that the fullness of the gospel, quote-unquote, disagrees with the gospel that we have in the Bible. This is a different gospel. So, going back to what Paul said in Galatians 1.8, that if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what you have received or what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Now, how do we know what Paul preached to them? Well, thankfully, we have this letter to the Galatians, and this is just the beginning of the letter to the Galatians. And through the next five and a half chapters, he spells out this gospel. And he spends a lot of time interacting with the law of Moses and how works of the law, whether that's the law of Moses or something else, would fit with this gospel of grace by faith. So the gospel is that you are made right with God by faith. And what's amazing about that is that that's the way it's always been. You can go all the way back to Abraham, and even before Abraham, and you can see that people were made right with God on the basis of faith. Genesis 15, 6 says that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That verse comes up several times in the New Testament to demonstrate that it it's never been by works that we're made right with God. It's always been by God's grace, through faith, that we are made right with God. Now, the the content or the, the object of that faith has gone through uh, progressive steps where, of course, Abraham didn't have the, the good news of Jesus's death and resurrection. He didn't have the fullness like we have it today, but he still had, uh, you could say, the gospel in the sense that he had good news. He had promises from God. He had this unconditional covenant from God. He ha- had to 
believe. He had to truly believe from the heart uh, on God. And by doing that, he was made right with God. It was, it was credited to him as righteousness. He wouldn't have to go work to earn righteousness. He was given righteousness. Well, um, today we see that Jesus has come and he's died, he's risen, he's ascended on high, and our good news to the world is that if you believe in Jesus, you will be made right with God. That is, that is now what all men are called to believe, okay? Well, that is not the gospel of Mormonism. The gospel, again, like kind of air quotes here, the, the good news of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints actually is not good news at all. It puts you to work. And I want to demonstrate that in their own words. I don't just want to say that and, you know, have people disagree with me for whatever reason. I want to actually play something that, uh, oh, I need to do this. There we go. That uh, shows it in their own words, and then we can talk about it from there, okay? So what I want to do now is play some clips from Book of... It used to be called Book of Mormon Central. Now it's called Scripture Central. But there are uh, a couple of guys, Taylor and Tyler, I believe, who each week they do videos kind of like what I do, but definitely not what I do, (laughs) where they are uh, talking about what the Come Follow Me curriculum is all about, and they help Latter-day Saints get ready for that. They've got a really big following. Scripture Central has over 200,000 subscribers on YouTube, and here they are talking about Galatians. So I want to play uh, some clips, pause along the way a little bit, and uh, respond to what they are saying and uh, demonstrate, I hope, that, uh, I hope it'll be clear to you, that the gospel that they are teaching is different than the gospel that's found in the book they're reading this week, Galatians, all right? It's really kind of a a sad tragedy here, but um, I hope to demonstrate that, and not because I hate them, not because I, I, whatever, Um, they seem like perfectly fine gentlemen, it's that uh, they're teaching something that's false, and I want to provide the biblical response to that if I can do that by the grace and power of God. So um, I'll stop rambling. Here we go. And then he gives this beautiful uh, argument here in verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Now, let's make something very clear here. When he keeps referring in Galatians to the law, he's not referring to all law, like law of the gospel or law of consecration or law of chastity, because the reality is, is, The Savior taught very clearly, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, so i got to pause there. So he read that verse from Galatians 2 uh, that says, we're not justified by works of the law, and he felt as though immediately he needed to clarify that it's just talking about the law of Moses, it's not talking about all law, which is interesting that he had to do that. So on the one hand, yeah, I totally agree with him. The the context of Galatians here is that you had people who came into that church who were teaching them that salvation is by works, and the works are the law of Moses. Be circumcised, keep the Sabbath, go to the temple and make sacrifices, you know, on and on. But especially circumcision, that seems to be a really big deal in Galatia. And so when Paul here is referring to the law, yeah, he's referring to the law of Moses. But to say that he was not referring to other ideas of law. 
um, is wrong, okay? Uh, and it's interesting that he feels the need to do this, because Paul here is making the case for being justified by faith, being declared innocent, being declared righteous, being made right with God once for all on the basis of faith alone. That's the case that Paul's making. And so to say, when he says it's not by law, but it's by faith, he just meant the law of Moses. It's like leaving the door open for some or other system of works that you might want to introduce here. And that's, of course, what they're getting ready to do. And he mentioned uh, the commandments of, of Christ, how Jesus taught uh, the cost of discipleship. He taught what true holiness is and how people should live to honor God. He did teach these things. He absolutely did say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. So yeah, I mean, Jesus taught all of those things, but he never taught any of those things as a means of earning salvation. And that is the whole issue in Galatia. These churches in Galatia were suffering under false teaching where people came in to distort the gospel and make it a system of works. Their law of choice, you could say, was the law of Moses because they were Jewish people and people had this, even among Gentiles, there was this reverence to a degree uh, among many of them for the law of Moses. Well, they were using that as like, here's your means to earn something from God, salvation, exaltation, favor, whatever the case may be. Paul here is saying, no, God's system is actually completely different. You're not justified by law, you're justified, you're made right with God by faith. All right, so it's important that we recognize uh, how, how they're wording things and think through why they would word them that way. But let's continue. And he's given them these upgrades to the law of Moses. And he's saying, if you really love me, then you're going to keep these commandments. So keep in mind as we go through this epistle to the Galatians, he's speaking to a specific people in a specific location at a specific time with a specific struggle, which is backsliding down the hill from 2.0 to 1.0 and starting to think, oh, maybe I do need to live all of these, these 613 laws and provisions within the law of Moses. All right, so um, the real quick note on the 2.0, 1.0 thing. Earlier on in this lesson, uh, they gave the illustration that moving on from the law of Moses to the gospel, which they would call the law of, of the gospel or the gospel law, they used a phrase like that. They said, uh, basically, the law of Moses was like a lesser thing. The gospel is a higher thing. They're both law, but one's a higher law and one's a lower law. And what the Galatians were doing was leaving the higher law to slide back to the lower law. That's the way they've really set all this up. And they do an illustration on the whiteboard and stuff later in the video and everything that walks through all that. When... Really, that is not it at all. The gospel is not law. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ having accomplished, past tense, all that needed to be done for us to be made right with God. Law, on the other hand, when it's used in this way as far as earning something from God or a means to salvation, it's doing things that you have to continually do these things in order to get something from God. Salvation is no longer a gift, as it would be with the gospel. Salvation is 
a wage that you earn through your works. That's those are two different concepts, gospel and law. And so the gospel is not law 2.0. And, and I found it interesting there. He said, um, look, no one can keep gospel 1.0, those 613 commands. Don't slide back down to that. No one can keep all of those. And he says, instead, basically, go up and keep gospel 2.0. Keep uh, the higher, higher law. Sorry, not gospel 2.0, law 2.0. Keep the higher law. How, how can you keep law 2.0 if you weren't able to keep law 1.0? I mean, that's a major problem, right? Did Jesus lower the standards for how we are to live or raise the standards? He totally raised the standards. He, he, he raised them. A new commandment I give you to love one another as I have loved you. Is there any more amazing, awesome standard than the love of Jesus? No. There absolutely is not. So if you can't keep the law 1.0, as they would call it, to like remember what to do when you find a bird in a tree and how to put a fence up around your roof deck and all that stuff, if you can't do all that, how are you going to love other people with the perfect love of Jesus Christ? Can't be done. All right, let's continue. And he says, you're not justified or pronounced righteous or made right by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. And again, in Galatians, you could just add to your scriptures, every time you see the law, just write of Moses, and it'll make a lot more sense that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by the works of the law of Moses. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now, you could stop there and proof text this and say, see, it doesn't matter what I do. As long as I just have faith in Christ, then I can do whatever I want and he'll save me. Okay, sorry, I didn't let him finish that sentence there. Um, <laughs> I hear Latter-day Saints make this argument all the time, like, God didn't set it up to where he just saves you and then you can go be a murderer, adulterous, drug addict, uh, Hitler type guy. So your gospel's wrong, Christians. Like I, I th- that kind of argument gets made a lot. Like Christians, you believe that you that people just have to believe in Jesus and then they can go uh, be the scum of the earth and it doesn't matter. No one is teaching that. Okay, I mean, just just so everyone's clear, uh, no one's teaching that. So there are different ways that Christians articulate how good works fit into all of this and how repentance fits into all of this and how God does all of that in the heart of a believer. I mean, there, there are all kinds of different conversations on that. But no one is saying like, yeah, get saved and then go rob a bank. Like, that is just not happening. But I'll let him continue. And we would say, we love verse 16, but we also love verse 17 and 18. Read on. Read all of the epistle. Let's not proof text an isolated portion of it. And the word faith here is not just a simple, I believe. Even when it says, believed in Jesus Christ, there's much more action and depth that goes into these words. You could. Okay, well, let's stop right there momentarily. Um, the other one jumps in here and is saying, believe doesn't mean believe. 
That's basically what he's saying. I, I've heard Latter-day Saints say that faith is an action word. Well, um, faith is actually a noun. Action words are verbs. And so uh, nouns aren't action words. So that actually grammatically doesn't make any sense. But beyond that, no, faith isn't an action word as far as like performing good deeds. You can do, you can perform good deeds out of faith. Faith can be the reason for your good deeds. Faith can be the foundation for the way that you live your life. Believing can be, of course, inextricably, well, not can be, it is, inextricably tied to behavior. Uh, believing comes before your actions. I mean, all that can be said. But believing or having faith is not a work. I mean, Paul goes through just... It's like painstaking detail on this in so many of his letters. Romans 4 is a great place to go. Just read that whole chapter where Paul is saying, look, faith and righteous deeds that are performed in order to earn something from God, those are those are different. You're either believing, and on that basis, you're, you're believing that God will give you his righteousness on the basis of faith, or you're working to earn that righteousness for yourself, and you're trying to get something from God. And here, this guy is saying, yeah, when Paul says that we're justified by faith, that's uh, actually saying that we still have to keep the law. <laughs> so they're talking about, oh, I need to do this. There we go. Um, they're talking about Galatians 2, and it says here in Galatians 2.15, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Now, Jewish people taught that Gentiles were sinners. Those two terms basically became synonymous, and so that's what he means there. He's not denying that he had sin. Paul, of course, believed he had sin that he needed to be forgiven of and all that stuff. Okay. He says, verse 16, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, as it says here, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. How much clearer can you make it? Since by works of the law, no flesh will be justified. No one will be justified by God, declared innocent by God, pronounced as righteous by God on the basis of works of the law. And what these guys are saying is, well, actually, uh, yes, you can be declared righteous on the basis of works of the law. It just can't be the law of Moses. It has to be this other law. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is not what's found in the Bible. But I, once again, digress, and we shall continue. We look at faith meaning trustworthiness, loyalty. So, because of the loyalty of Jesus Christ to do what was right, even we have trusted in Jesus Christ. So we have to trust that he has done something trustworthy to save us. And you're not going to act in faith if you don't first have this level of trust that Jesus is trustworthy to be our savior. But there is a mutuality that is expected in the relationship. Jesus freely gave us the gift of salvation. And in receiving that freely offered gift, we are binding ourselves to in an obligated relationship to also freely share love back to him and to those around us. To not just sit around and say, hmm, I'm saved, lucky me. 
to sit around and say, Ooh, I'm saved. Lucky me. Um, again, uh, no one's saying that. I mean, Christians shouldn't even be saying lucky me, right? We, uh, we all gather on Sunday mornings to uh, sing how lucky we are. <laughs> how ridiculous would that be? No, we sing praises to the sovereign, gracious God who, in His kindness and in His love, chose to save us. It's all the glory due to Him. There is no luck. We don't sing, lucky, lucky us, clap our hands, lucky, lucky us, clap our hands. <laughs> you know, We sing songs like... Um, all praise to him whose love is seen in Christ the Son, the servant king, who left behind his glorious throne and pay the ransom for his own. How's that? That's that's better than lucky me. All right. Well, um he's he's basically saying here that he got me off on a tangent there with the lucky me quote. But he he's basically saying, um, Salvation is a, uh, you're entering into a contractual relationship with God. And salvation by faith is you are trusting that God is trustworthy, that if you do what you are supposed to do, he will uphold his end of the deal and give you salvation. That's essentially what he's saying. I, he, he didn't articulate it in the clearest way, which no offense to him, because I know I don't articulate things in the clearest way all the time. So um, no offense intended there at all. But um, it wasn't super clear. I, I think what we can say at the end of the day, though, is he was making salvation into this conditional thing. Salvation has been given to all people, he would say, and there's this obligation now to respond to that by works in order to fulfill your end of the deal, deal to get exalted in the eyes of God, to get full salvation and experience all that there is. You have to earn that. And uh, that becomes clearer later on in the video. And so I'm going to jump down now in the video a ways and uh, start playing from this next portion. So here you have this, the law of the gospel that Moses went up into the mount to get. Okay, I should stop there. So this is what I was talking about earlier. I couldn't remember their exact phrase, but it's the law of the gospel, which again is not a term you will find in the Bible because law and gospel are not the same thing. Extremely important to understand that. But he's got here up on the uh, the whiteboard. Can you see my cursor? Um, I don't know if you can, but there's Adam and there's Enoch, and then behind his head is an N for Noah, and then Abraham, and now Moses. And they were all living the law of the gospel, he says, which again is a made-up thing and probably has a, an LDS definition because it has no Bible definition. And he says, Moses went up to the mountain to get that, and that's where he's uh, picking up on, on the story here. He's going up to the mountain to get the law of the gospel. And the people say, nope, we don't want that. And so you get this, they're not able to come out of 400 years of apostasy to come back up to this level. So what do they get? They get a stepper law, a, a step stool, so to speak, that gets them closer. They're not living the laws of Egypt in the law of Moses. The law of Moses isn't evil. It's good. It's given by God to help them because they weren't able to take this, this higher road. So it was given because of their transgression. Okay, again, not the most articulate way of explaining this, but... Um... 
and I think this 400 year, he called it an apostasy. I think, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think he, maybe he means this was the 400 years of slavery in Egypt and it's supposed to be before the M because Moses was a part of that last generation that was in Egypt. I don't know. But he, he draws this square within the crater he made where you've got the line of the law of the gospel going along through the generations, Adam, Noah, or Adam, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and then it craters because the people don't want the law of the gospel anymore. Again, I don't know what that means. And so the law of Moses comes. God get, doesn't give them the law of the gospel. He gives them a different law, and that's a step stool that gets them like up from where they were under the law of the Egyptians it gets them away from that. It's a good law, he affirms, which is right. The law is holy and just and good. Holy, just, good, Romans chapter 7. But it's not uh, the full law of the gospel, and it's apparently not the full holiness of God, and it's also not an explanation of the righteousness of God. It's just like this junior thing. So, I mean, this is all very new to me. I've, I've never seen it explained this way before. And so I, I don't exactly know what he's going for. I can't fill in his thoughts here where I feel like he didn't articulate it super clearly. Um, it's like this God's plan for you watered down version. His plan for you is really the law of the gospel, but now you're getting the law of Moses, which is something different. And this is in conjunction with that passage in Galatians 3 that says that the law was our schoolmaster or our tutor to lead us to Christ. So he's saying, um, so God didn't give you all that he had for you. He didn't give you um, He didn't give you what the generations before you had. He gave you a watered-down version. You are un- unique in this time in history from the people before you, the generations before you and the generations after you where you're just getting a watered-down version of God's word. That's essentially, I think, what he's illustrating here, which I just totally disagree with. Um, but I thought I should, I don't know, pause, I guess, to kind of talk through that about what I think he was saying. But let's continue now. And Paul is saying, I have preached to you what I have received directly from Jesus Christ. I've now got you back up here. Don't take a step back down. It's absolutely unnecessary. And stop listening to people who tell you that you're going to be in God's presence if you actually step, start walking back down the mountain. We're trying to get you into God's temple symbolically. So he says, verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. Okay, now here's something interesting. Um, You know, earlier he was saying, anytime you see law in the book of Galatians, add of Moses, it's always the law of Moses. What about right here? For if there had been a law given which could have given life, then righteousness would have been by the law. Here he is just imagining any kind of law. If there was any kind of law given that could actually impart life, then righteousness would be by law. I don't think here he's talking specifically of the law of Moses. I think he's just saying any kind of commands that could be given to men, if it was possible that any kind of commands could have been given that could have imparted everlasting life, then it would have happened. But? But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Everybody's struggling 
under the law. It is impossible to live those 613 laws, and it's impossible to live any of the laws. We're all under sin. That's why we need the Savior. Okay, so, sorry, I, I keep pausing before he's done. But again, the point I, I want to just make here is that if we could not keep watered-down version in order to earn favor with God, how could we keep full version, right? If we couldn't keep the 613, that's like the lesser thing. How could we keep the higher thing, the more intense thing, the, the full thing, in order to earn something with God? And in case you're thinking, um, well, that's not exactly what they're teaching. They're not teaching that we have to keep any laws to earn something with God. Maybe they are teaching that we are actually justified by faith alone. Well, keep listening, because they make that clear. And so he he brings us now into verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And whose faith? Definitely we have to have faith. We have to have faith. We go back to verse 11, the just shall live by his faith. So we go back here to verse 24, that we might be justified or made right or righteous by his faith. That's the All right, so I want to pause there, um, and I'll back this up a little bit. So that way when I start it again, there's more of that fuller context. If you're watching, you see on the screen here that in, that they've added something in brackets. Paul quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, like he does in Romans 1, and he says, the just shall live by faith. If you go back to Habakkuk 2, um, it could be said that what Habakkuk originally said in the Hebrew was the just shall live by the faithfulness of God. The just shall live by his faithfulness and the his being a, a pronoun referring to God. And what they said earlier in this video, I didn't play this, but earlier in the video they said Paul must have had a version where that was left out. He had a version of the Old Testament where things were wrong, <laughs> which is a really bad conclusion. Uh, uh, for why Paul quoted it the way he did and worded it the way he did. Paul, uh, they, they basically, here's what it comes down to. I'll, I'll skip a bunch of stuff. We can, one day, if people want to talk how uh, textual criticism, which is the study of how we got the Bible from the Hebrew and Greek to where we are today and how we should consider manuscripts and copies and all that stuff. If we want to talk about that one day, we could do that. Here's the short version. These guys do not like that Paul said the just shall live by faith. They just don't like it. They don't like that. So what they now have to do is they want to go back in and change Paul's words, which they've done, and make it to where, again, salvation is a contractual relationship. You've entered into a, a, an obligatory relationship with God to earn your own salvation or maintain your own salvation through good works, which is exactly what the Judaizers were doing in Galatia, leading them astray. And so we, we're not going to say the just shall live by faith, but the just shall live by the faithfulness of God, recognizing that if I do certain things, God will reward me for doing them. That's what they're trying to do here. That's why they're changing Paul's words. Really important that you catch that, all right? So let me back up here so you can hear the rest of his statement, because the rest of his statement reveals that. Whose faith? Definitely we have to have faith. We have to have faith. We go back to verse 11, the just shall live by his faith. So we go back here to verse 24, that we might be justified or made right or righteous by 
his faith. That's exactly right. When you are baptized, you are made clean. When you partake of the sacrament, you are made clean. When you go to the temple and receive endowments, washing and anointing, you are pronounced clean. Okay, now we see, now we see where this is all going. And here's why I say it's a different gospel than the gospel of the Bible, because they are no longer saying you are justified or made right with God by faith alone, that you are reconciled to God once for all through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's not what's being said. Instead, what they're saying is you are justified by the faithfulness of God to reward you as you perform good works to earn your full salvation or your full exaltation. Let them be accursed. They have just changed the gospel. They just changed it. Let me keep playing a little bit more. Uh, I can respond to their full statement. All of this is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. His faithfulness is what, is what makes us righteous. Okay. What do you mean? Because you just said that as we get baptized, partake of the sacrament week after week at sacrament meeting through the LDS ward house meeting houses, as you go to the temple and you perform your endowments and you do go through the ceremonies in the temple, then you are justified because God is faithful to reward you for those good works. And then you say, it's the blood of Jesus. It's double speak. It's double speak. It's trying to take biblical themes or Christian themes and infuse them into a workspace system. And we can't stand for that. You're twisting words. Isn't this what Moroni teaches? God, he has all these weaknesses or he has weakness. And God says, I give unto people weakness that I can show them strength in me. Moroni being that angel that we talked about at the beginning, who I'm assuming he's talking about the Book of Moroni and the Book of Mormon. Um, Moroni saying, I am weak, and God says, I give you weakness that I can show my strength, which sounds like a riff off of uh, 2 Corinthians 12. But uh, God saying that, basically, yeah, you're really weak to keep the commandments, but you still have to do it, and when you do it, then I will show that I am faithful and powerful by uh, just responding to your works by rewarding you with strength or whatever the case may be. I haven't read it, so I don't know if that's exactly what it says, but that's what it sounds like to me. That's his faithfulness. And isn't it amazing, this, this one word, that our faith is in Christ. I want to be more like him. He, he has perfect faith. So I want to be more like him. My faith is in him. It's not independent of him. So with that framework, look at verse 25. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. We're not under that law of Moses. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Remember what we've talked about in previous episodes where the word enduo in the Greek gets translated into put on. If you've been baptized into Christ, you have been enduoed in Christ. You, you've taken his garment upon you. Now, in our, in our restoration perspective with temple imagery here, this is phenomenal. When you go to the temple of our God, he invites you in so he can endow you. He can clothe you, help you put on or sink into that sacred clothing, that sacred garment. 
you put on Christ this, these pieces of fabric that represent their physical, tactile reminders every day that Jesus Christ is with us. Uh, okay, let me um, just show that for a moment. That's uh, the temple in my town. That's the Mormon temple. That's about three blocks from where I'm recording this. Uh, that's right there, right here in Payson, Utah. Pretty cool. So um, he gives temple imagery, which was interesting, uh, talking about the undergarments that are worn, or the maybe not the undergarments, just the garments that are put on when you go to the temple, the linens. And he says, that reminds us that Christ is with us. Um, it's hard to imagine that Paul would accept as an application of what he has written in Galatians, that you go to the temple to earn your exaltation with God and wear clothes that other people have told you to wear in order that you can somehow earn for yourself favor with God and the clothes that other people told you to wear that certain people made for you that you put on just remind you that Christ is with you and that's it. It's really hard to imagine that Paul would accept that as an application. What Paul is saying over and over again is that is not the way that we get justified by God. That is not the way we are made right with God. That's not the way that we have a continuing salvation with God by doing stuff. Now, again, they're right in pointing out the original context of that was the law of Moses. Judaizers, people of Jewish background were coming in saying you have to be circumcised. That was the big one. But it's really any other law that gets presented anytime you are told you have to do A, B, C, X, Y, Z, and then God will accept you, and then you will be made right with him. That is anti-gospel. There is no such thing as the law of the gospel. The gospel is the message that it is done. Law says do gospel says done. Jesus did it. So I want to finish off by looking at this passage that they were reading from actually in Galatians 3. And this is in the New American Standard Version, so a much better translation than the King James. It says, before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants according, or heirs according to promise. So he says, again, quite clearly, that we are justified by faith. God accepts us on the basis of faith, believing in what Jesus has done, not believing in anything that we have done. Whether that's the law of Moses, or the law of Joseph Smith, or the law of Moroni, or whatever. Okay? by faith alone. Now, he does mention baptism here. I can imagine someone saying, hey, wait a second, he says something about baptism. That's true. He says, all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. He is not saying that uh, baptism 
then is a work that gets us justified. He doesn't contradict himself in just a matter of the same paragraph, a matter of verses. Being baptized into Christ was the way that they showed that they had believed in Jesus. That was that was what the early church did quite immediately upon belief. We still do it today, of course, um, but it's not quite as immediate as they used to do it. Then it was just, it was hard, I think, for Paul to imagine anybody who went to a local church who claimed to be a believer in Jesus and had not been baptized. That doesn't mean that he saw that as a work to earn credit with God at all. I mean, he's the one saying over and over again, we're justified by faith alone. But he's saying, look, if you identify with Christ through faith, you have clothed yourself with Christ. You've put on Christ. You are found in his righteousness alone. What, what have you believed in with Jesus that has now changed your life? You've believed in his finished work, his act of righteousness that imparts life to you, namely that he died and rose again on your behalf and that he is your Lord, he is your Savior. So this was a bit of a longer episode today, but I thought that would be interesting to walk through it that way. Hope that was helpful, and thank you for listening. If uh, you have any questions for me, feel free to reach out. Again, my name is Jeremy Howard, pastoring at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. I hope you have a blessed day, and I hope that you would consider these things because it's the most important thing that you can get right, the gospel, that Jesus died and rose again, that you might have life. The Lord bless you.